This recording was made at Grace Bible Fellowship in Washburn, Wisconsin on April 1st, 2012. The message is given by Pastor Keith Vick on Palm Sunday, and the text for the message is John 12, 12 through 26. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that he had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to, the worship, to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. It's your neighbors, Jim and Joanna Sanders. Yeah, we made you some Easter eggs. We sure did. Yeah. Hey, since you're the man of the house, I want to come talk to you mono eat mano. Oh. <laughs> See what he did there? You're a man. Whoa, 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 whoa. Just take a minute. I don't want to take away from that pagan golf tournament that you're probably watching in there. But it did hit me when I saw the trashy secular Easter decorations that you have outside your house that you probably don't go to church to worship our Lord and Savior except for Christmas and Easter like 68.7% of the rest of the American population. Oh, you're my little man. None for the neighbors stay on track. Oh, oh, well, the reason why we're here is because we wanted to invite you to our Easter services at our church. Now, I've made the plan of salvation into these Easter eggs here, and each color represents something you've done wrong. What my dear wife is trying to say, when we leave on a Sunday morning to go to church, your car stays out in the driveway, which makes me know that you probably don't go to church unless you're holding a church service in there or something, but I don't think so. So how about you pack up your brood and you come with us to church service on Easter Celebration Sunday, huh? Okay, sure. I mean, my, my wife and I were just talking about where we would go this Easter, so sure, we'll give your, your church a shot. Houston, we have a problem. What's the matter? No one's ever said yes to us before. Oh, oh what do we do? Well, we just back away slowly. Oh, all right. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> Don't look at him in the oh, eye. Oh, he could take away your soul. Okay. okay. All uh, right. We'll just leave the eggs in the mailbox. 
God. You sure will. Now, the big red one represents your sin. <laughs> it's the sin egg. All righty. <laughs> we hope to see you there. We'll save you a seat, okay? Really? No, that's just an intimidation tactic. <laughs> okay, toodles. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm not just doing that just to show you that clip, so Easter's next Sunday. Make sure you invite somebody, but um, could you resonate with that a little bit? Um, and the, the last words I saw was cut off on the screen. I wish you could have seen it a little bit better. It says, be brave. Be brave. Invite somebody. But really, brothers and sisters, we're inviting people to more than just an Easter service, aren't we? We have a greater treasure than just a service to, to invite people to. And there's somebody we know that we want them to know. So be brave. Um, I want to just be brave. Listen to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. Angie's got another little clip I wanted to put up here real quick. A relationship without trust is like a car without gas. You can stay in it all you want, but it won't go anywhere. Let that sink in just for a second. A relationship without trust is like a car without gas. You can stay in it all you want, but it won't go anywhere. And it's my contention that there's a lot of people sitting in church that don't know Jesus. There's no gas in their tank in a relationship with him because there's no trust of him. They don't really trust him. So we're not, we're not desirous to put on a good show come next Sunday. We want to do well. We want to present the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want the service to be a good service as services go. But if there's no gas in our tank, if there's no relationship with the Lord Jesus himself among us, what are we inviting people to? Entertainment? A good show? I think we want more than that. Our brother that was just here last week from, from uh, Egypt I wrote a bunch of his quotes down. I had taken a bunch of notes, and then later this week I gathered them all together again. And, and one of the things that one of the little things that he said, what I resonated with, is sometimes we don't trust God because we don't know Him. Sometimes we don't trust God because we don't know Him. Now that's a very simple statement, but think about it. Who do you trust? And you tell me if life isn't built on trust. When you go somewhere after the services today and you pull out your wallet and you give a couple dollar bills to somebody to buy something with, what have you just exchanged? Trust. We live on trust. We also die by not trusting the one who is most trustworthy. Jesus' claim of trustworthiness in this section is in his words, truly, truly. He, uh, I think he uses this phrase in the Gospel of John about 25 times. 
if you have a, if you have a King James Bible, it says verily, verily. But the Hebrew word, or the Greek word, is actually just a Hebrew word. And some of you already know this. Uh, just like you, when you said Hosanna this morning, that is a Hebrew word that the Greeks took over and said, how do you, remember what Brother Krim said about last week? How do you, how do you say praise God to, in Hebrew? Hallelujah. What's the word in the Egyptian? Hallelujah. What's the word in English? Hallelujah. Hosanna is one of those same ones. It's, it's a Hebrew word that the Greeks just, we don't know what that means, so we're just going to put you know, this together like this. And it's Hosanna. Well, truly, truly is one of those words as well. Jesus says, trust me. And so he uses truly, truly, amen and amen. That's the word. It comes from the Hebrew word, aman. It comes from uh, one place that we can find it. You need not turn there. I'll just read it for you. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9. It says this, Know that therefore the Lord your God is, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to the thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. The faithful God. The Amen God. The one who says, he stands behind his word and he says, Amen. So be it. It will be. It stands. He is the God of Amen. So when you and your prayers, hopefully again you got gas in your tank, and it isn't just a perfunctory word that you add at the end of your prayers. When you say amen, it is a statement of trust. And trust is what you have to build relationships on. A relationship without trust is like a car without gas. You can stay in it all you want. But it won't take you anywhere. And God wants to take us places, believe me. Is your relationship with God one of truly, truly trust? Is your relationship with God one of truly, truly that kind of trust? Because we honor him and glorify God by trusting him. You cannot love God if you do not trust him. It's impossible. So let's, uh, let's be brave. Not just invite somebody to Easter Sunday. Let's be brave and hear these words that Jesus Christ speaks to us. Think about how you have to be brave if he uses words like this. A grain of wheat falls to the earth, it dies. Because if it doesn't, there's no fruit. And then he uses words like this, He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. He is really putting some things on the line here. So let's take a look If you've got your Bibles, keep them open to John chapter 12. I want to set the story a little bit for how he comes to one of these truly, truly statements that we have before us. 
because this is Palm Sunday. It's the reason I'm. It's the reason I'm in this text today, because this is the story of his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, his triumphal entry with the purpose of triumphing through the cross, not as a conquering king. Yet he is a conquering king. There is no greater danger posed to mankind than his own absence of relationship with God, creator God. And Jesus came to bridge that gap so that we can trust and know the truly, truly of eternal life. But let's look at the story. Large crowds. I mean, where Jesus went, this by this time he's attracting huge crowds. And uh, just before this, he had raised Lazarus from the dead, probably about six weeks before this entrance into Jerusalem. He had done some travels back over towards the Jordan. And, and as the lay of the land is, um, Jericho is way down, way down below sea level. And so as he's in Jericho, it says he goes up to Jerusalem. That's because you have to climb the hills to come to Jerusalem from east to west. And so he's coming into Jerusalem. And this is his triumphal entry. But great crowds are there. And it says in verse 13, just as we saw this morning, they took branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout. So this was a very public entrance. And the crowds were huge. And something got into them. Now, how do you celebrate? Now, I don't know. I've watched enough stoic football fans to know that some people's celebration is, yay. But I also know there's a bunch of fanatics out there. When a touchdown is scored, they leave their seat. There's an expression. And so the people of Jerusalem and these crowds, and not, not only are we dealing with people in Jerusalem at this time, but we're also dealing with people who have come to the Passover. They've gathered from around the, the Roman world, the Jewish proselytes, and even as we'll see, some who weren't probably even proselytes. The party is in Jerusalem this week. So there's lots of people. But they've all heard about this man, this incredible man. And some are all, they're all speaking. They're all saying different things. But then, as he comes closer, they shout, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Save, we pray. That's what Hosanna means. It's save, we pray. Or, it can actually be turned around. We are saved. We've been looking for, we want, we want deliverance. And the Israelite people this time were a people of occupation. The Romans were occupiers, as many of you know this story, this, how this works. But they were occupiers of Israel. And what they really wanted, what they really wanted was their freedom to make their own decisions as a nation. And so when Jesus comes in, he seems, he seems like he's got the markers of the king that they've been waiting for. And so they start to just spontaneously... Cry out, Hosanna, knowing fully well they're drawing from, from the, some of the festival hymns of, of, the, of the psalm, Psalm 118. The, the psalms of ascent, the psalms of people that people would sing as they were coming into Jerusalem for the feast. But also promises, prophetic promises of a king they were waiting for. So they... they Save, we pray. We are saved. It's kind of like a mixed voice as they come in. 
save us, Lord. And some people go, he's here. This is him. He's got to be him. Nobody else like him. It's got to be him. And so they're shouting Hosanna. And of course, Jesus, very mindful, says in verse 14, finding a young donkey, and we have a better story of that in, in the Gospel of Mark, how this all comes about when I go there. But he, he brings, and he comes into, into Jerusalem seated on a colt of, a, of an ass that has never, you know, the colt has never been ridden before. Because it says in Zechariah that, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. So, what all is happening in the multitude's mind here is mixed. There's hope. But yet there's questions. And I don't know about you, but a lot of life is like that, is it not? Isn't there a lot of hope in life? I mean, if, there's a lot of people, there's, there's always hope. Unless you totally despair. But there's also, on the other side, you don't quite have all the answers yet. And I'm telling you, God brings his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for us to trust him. Know him. Build a relationship with him. That is his desire. Verse 16 is an editorial comment. This is the, the Apostle John who is basically stepping in as editor, um, having written this many years after the, after the actual events themselves. These things his disciples did not understand. What didn't they understand? The hosannas, the, the people shouting this out, the, the palms and the, and the coming in on a colt and all these things. They just, it just still wasn't quite resonating with them what this was about. But also, the next statement he says here, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him, that they, were done, they had done these things to him. Very important phrase in the Gospel of John was glorified. I still find it sometimes hard to convey the meaning of glorified. It's, it's, not, it's not the easiest thing to try to grab onto other than examples of, of glorifying something. Um, if you are a... Uh, we'll use cars. Let's try cars here. Let's say you are a Mopar fan. What are you then? What kind of car do you want? Chrysler, Dodge, you know, that kind of stuff. And you want something with a Hemi in it. And you go to Laverne's garage, which he hasn't seen the bottom of for 15 years. And you go to Laverne's garage, and you open up the door, and inside there's this Dodge Hemi with a tarp over it. Original paint. Original everything. Now tell me, what are you going to do? Oh, that's nice. Oh, look at this car! That's somewhat the idea of glory. It doesn't, but yet it's not complete. It's not a complete idea of what glory is. It's not just the excitement part of it. It's also, it's also this trust part. It's also this part of stepping outside and saying there's something bigger than me. Because most people glory in themselves above everything else. 
but not the one who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. To him, he is above them. And in so seeing him that way, they find life. So the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, this this is part of the multitude. They're they're the witnesses of Lazarus' resurrection. And that's in verse 17. And then it says in verse 18, For this reason also people went and met him. So there's people who heard about Lazarus. They're in the party. This is a really mixed multitude as Jesus comes into Jerusalem. But I love what it says in verse 19. If you ever want a Three Stooges... um, Seen in the Bible, this is it. This is three stooges in the Bible. The Pharisees said to one another, You dope! No, they didn't say that. It says, You see that they are all, this is not doing any good. Look, the whole world has gone after him. But it, it's said in such a way as they're speaking to each other like, It's your fault. No, it's your fault. It's your fault. No, it's your fault. It's your fault. No, it's your fault. I can just see dope slaps going on. You know, look! We've been trying to corner this guy for months now, and here he is coming to Jerusalem, and everybody wants him to be king. What's the matter with you guys? Where's plan A? Where's plan B? Plan C? Give us a plan. Nothing's working. This is that opposition. And again, please understand, the opposition came from very religious people. I don't know if you caught it. I hope you caught it. When our brother from Egypt spoke these last this week with us, he really he he was one who tried to make a great distinction between relationship and religion. Did you catch it? There's a lots of religious people out there. They're the ones that are trying to get to God by what they do. Those who know God, the way that He's come in the Lord Jesus Christ, know Him by relationship. What He's done for them. Great difference. Huge difference. So the opposition to Jesus here is not from those who, whose hearts are broken and those kinds of things. They're from very proud religious people who have a certain way of seeing things and they don't like what Jesus is doing. So they come in and it's interesting the next part of the story is, is, is as commentators go back and forth. What, what is this all about? And it says, Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, and I love this, I love this question, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. We want an audience with him. We want to talk to him. Now, these Greeks... Some say that they were proselytes. They were ones who, they were the Greek people who had become proselytes or they had become pursuers of of God through Judaism. Others say that they were just maybe Greeks who were there for the party, like I said earlier. Greeks were known in the world at that time, and I don't know if they're known for that right now, but they were known as the ones who were the most curious of all people. Constantly looking for knowledge, constantly looking for for questions and trying to dive into things. If you can read Acts chapter 17 with that in mind, when Paul was on Mars Hill speaking to them, they were always wanting to, what's the newest thing? What's the newest thing? What knowledge? What knowledge? What knowledge? So they may have just been those kinds of people, but they, they wanted their curiosity satisfied. 
And there's no better way to get your curiosity satisfied than to go see Jesus himself. So they ask. One of the disciples, Philip. Philip is introduced earlier in this gospel, in chapter 1. He seems to be one of those bridge people, the people, one of those bridge people that brings people to Jesus. Like I hope we will be. I hope we're bridge people. We have nothing greater to give people than a relationship with Jesus Christ. But they've got to see it to believe it. That might be an overstatement on my part. But I want us to be alive to Jesus Christ as a church. So it says, and here's where we get into some really cool stuff. At least, verse 23. All right. Greeks want to see Jesus. Philip comes, takes Andrew with him. Um, and so obviously they told Jesus, say, Jesus, there's some Greeks that want to speak to you. How does he answer them? Look at how he answers them. Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, does that sound like an answer? It's like, huh? What kind of answer is that? We need to see this. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Really important phrase there, Son of Man. Where else is that found in the Bible? Scholars. Remember how Krim gave us such a hard time for not knowing our Bibles? Woohoo! Daniel chapter 7. If you want to, just turn there real quick. I won't take very long there. Daniel chapter 7. That prophecy book of the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with a cloud of the heaven, one like a son of man was coming. He came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and every man of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. That's the Son of Man. King, true man. And that's the phrase Jesus used of himself. And it's interesting, in, in chapter 7 of Daniel, if you'll look back in there, it, it also talks about other kingdoms there. Fierce kingdoms, ugly kingdoms, kingdoms of men. But they're no match for the Son of Man. And so when Jesus uses this term, he loads it with all the meaning of what it means for him coming as God's representative, human representative to man. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So here's the King of Kings, and he's about to be glorified, and yet it has, it's down to a specific thing, the hour, this time, right here, right now, it's about to happen. And I'll add this. It has happened and has stayed. Or that's not a really good, good grammar. It has stayed happened. That's a little bit worse, but it works. <laughs> it's done. The most important hour of this planet has been accomplished and stays accomplished. That's where it's at. But then he fills it in with a little bit of reference to himself 
And then he fills it in with reference for all who will trust him. And that we see in verse 24. Again, the amen. Amen, amen. I truly say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Ask any farmer when he plants seed. What does he want when it's all said and done? What's a farmer want when he puts seed in the ground? Want one seed back? No way. When you plant corn, you want two heads, full heads, when it's all said and done. How many of you knew that? Uh oh. How many of you knew that corn only gets, stalks only get two heads? That's it. There you go. I didn't know that for a long time. But the fact is, is that when you plant that corn in the ground, it, that, that seed has to do something before the rest comes. And what is that? It has to cease to exist in its own independent state as a seed. It must be transformed to pass on the life that's within it to have it come up. Now, God has given you life. You have life of some kind, some way. What kind of life is it? Is it life lived to yourself? Or, as we'll see, when Jesus talks about this truly, truly statement, is it life lived to God, which will spring up to a much better harvest, a greater harvest, than if the seed did not die to itself? He who loses, who loves his life, loses it. Now that's interesting. He who, how many of you? I love my life, don't you? I do not walk around looking for ways to harm myself. I do it naturally, some, you know, by mistake sometimes, but I don't go looking for ways to hurt myself. I don't try to run into walls that are there. I don't walk out into heavy traffic and go, ah, who cares? I don't walk on railroad trestles when, a Brit, when there's trains that are coming. I love my life. Do you love your life? What does Jesus say? He who loves his life loses it. Wait a minute then. We've got to back up here and go, what is he talking about then? What is he talking about? He who hates his life in this world. Hate? Hate my life? Well, now again, what is he, where is he, what is he doing? Who, who naturally hates their life? Well, I'm sure you've run into some people who have been depressed. I've, I've gone through depression. There's times when, I, when I've been in depression, it just seems like everything's dark. It's really dreary. I can't figure it out. You know, it's like, whoa, is me. But yet I don't. To the extent that he says here, hate my life, I'm still trying to find my life. I want to get out of it. I want, I want, to, I want to change from that. But he is really using contrast here. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. And there's where we got he added that He added that word in there, in this world. Now again, please... When he uses this term, in this world, he's not saying you have to leave this world. Nathan Brown has got to get himself a big old hockey puck that can fly 
outside our solar system so that he can go find life. What, is, what does Jesus mean? Hates his life in this world. It's if you use the world to measure whether you're really alive or not. And the, here it's this idea of this world system, this world values. Are you somebody if I have this? I am somebody if I have this. I am nobody. It goes both ways. I am nobody if I don't have this. I am nobody if I don't have this. What's the measure whether you go yay or nay? It's still here. And what Jesus wants us to see is the true measure of life is relationship with God. True measure in life is who do you trust with your life? That'll tell you what you treasure. If you're like me, most of you are. I'm, I'm pretty common. We're all common folk. There have been many times in my life I have trusted this. I have trusted the weather. I have looked ahead and go, oh, there's sunshine coming. I will be happy then. No, not a good thing. It does come down to this, though. Who do you trust? He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world, in other words, who uses this world to be the measure, whether I won the mega millions this week, right? Most people who win the lottery, are they happy? It has been proven over and over again that they're not happy. That's not an argument for playing or not playing the lottery. It's just you, get, you have a better chance of being struck by lightning than winning in the lottery. That's how the odds are all stacked up. But because somebody wins, over 100 million people in our country this week paid at least a dollar, many with more. But again, it's this world. But he's, this is the promise. This is the promise. He states it that way. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world, by that hate he means, in other words, I will, in comparison... In comparison to trusting God or trusting the world, I will trust God instead. He will find eternal life. That's the statement that he makes. And then he, he fills it out in verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am there, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The reward is great. Jesus is saying, if you will follow me and serve me. But it really is begun with the truly, truly statement up above. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. There is something about having to die to being independent on our own before God where life comes. There comes a place where interpreting life through the lenses of the world and the things that are offered to us in this world compared to the things that are offered to us by God has got to be the thing that changes us. Moves us. 
And so Jesus came, the people thought, in the, what we saw before, the, the people came and saw Jesus coming as conqueror. We have a king. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna is save us. We're saved. And Jesus' response to this whole thing, this tumult of, 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 the, of the public in the, in the, in the, it's, it's focused for us by the Greeks coming to ask him, I want to talk to him directly. He, he focuses and he says, I am the first seed. I am about to be planted. And if I don't die, no fruit will come. See, before Jesus asks you and I to be seed that dies, he is the seed that dies. And out of him comes fruit of those who know the Father. They, he must follow me, and where I am there, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him, and you can know God, he says. Now, I've got a question for you as we come to this end here a little bit. I would say it this way. You have to spend your life. You have to spend your life. In other words, it's, it's like um, giving money to somebody and, and you, know, you, you, tell, you drop your kids off at the, at the, at the, at the mall. And part of the deal, and I'm, I'm just making this up on the fly a little bit, part of the deal is you give them 20 bucks. And this child that you give the $20 to is one who's a skin flint, always saves everything, never spends a thing. And you tell the child, you cannot come back out of the mall unless you've spent the $20 on something. Well, it's a little skewed of a, of a, of a metaphor there a little bit, but... You have to spend it. You can't hoard it. I say to you, the Bible says to you, God says to you, you have a life. You have to spend it. What will you spend it on? Who will you spend it for? Will you spend it just to yourself? Or will you do as Jesus said and listen to his words and say, truly, truly, I say to you, and spend it for him. I was challenged by our, uh, for those of you that don't know, I need to do a little bit of background here. We were visited by a, a man from Egypt this last week. He spent, he and his, uh, basically I would call him his compatriot handler, American handler. I don't know how, it kind of sounds funny that way, but. Our brother's from Egypt. He's been in prison three times. He was beaten into a coma uh, the first time, uh, raped, all for the name of Jesus Christ. He is married to a Christian lady. And I need to clarify this. He felt bad about this. I need to clarify you for this last Sunday. He did not keep his wife in a room for three years. His, her parents, from the age of 18 to 21, kept Kareem's wife in her bedroom in their house for three years. Only twice a day would they let her go to the bathroom. That was it. Why? 
Because she was a believer in Jesus Christ too. She was a Muslim who became a believer in Jesus Christ. And Kareem was a believer, in Jesus, a Muslim who became a believer in Jesus Christ. For that offense, they have been persecuted constantly. Yet where does he go to live? Where is he going back to this week? He's going back to Egypt again. Where the tumult is great right now, where the, there is, the, the revolution is, you, we haven't seen everything that's going to happen there yet. But I, when, I, when I have talked to him, I, 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 for me it was t- verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And I saw in our brother the fulfillment of these kinds of promises. That his relationship with God has got a bunch of gas. And it's taken him somewhere. And I don't know about you, but I'd like to have that kind of relationship with God too, with a bunch of gas in it that takes me somewhere where I'm really alive. And I think he challenged us on that more than we realize in some ways. And uh, just kind of read a couple quotes from men who have studied this passage well, I think, and just listen to this. This one's first is from Barclay, and then I'm going to close with a few things that our brother Krim said to us. We have only to think of what this world would have lost if there had not been men prepared to forget their personal safety, security, selfish gain, and selfish advancement. The world owes everything to people who recklessly spent their strength and gave themselves to God and to others. No doubt we will exist longer if we take things easily, if we avoid all the strain, if we sit at the fire and husband life, if we look at after ourselves as a hypochondriac looks at his health. No doubt we will exist longer, but we will never live. Truly, truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Then he proceeds to apply this illustration, affirming the same law of self-sacrifice to the supreme in discipleship. The one who goes on loving his mere human temporal life, exalting it above the spiritual interest, loses progressively even his material life. On the other hand, the one who puts the spiritual above the mere this world life will guard his spiritual life for eternity. To live is more to more than to breathe and enjoy physical pleasures and comforts. Eternal living is far different. And I would say it this way, kingdom living is far different. To experience such real living, one must have a tr- be a true servant of Jesus, must minister to him, with him, for him, must keep on following Jesus in place, method, and character. The one who thus keeps on following Jesus in this way of life will find that his own life has taken on a quality and a character of the eternal. The servant will also be where Jesus is. And the master led disciples up to this idea of the cross. The one who so does will always be honored by the Father. The cross was out. Just a few hours ahead, they must learn this lesson quickly. When our brother goes back to Egypt, he's got a very hard thing to do. He's not just going back where his life is threatened. He doesn't know. But he's got to take his son. He and his wife's only child. He's got to take his son... And he's got to bring him back to the United States because his son's life has been so threatened and so abused right now that he has to get him out. But he was in the office with me on Wednesday morning when everybody kind of left and he was talking. He says, Keith, what I want more than anything else is I don't want your money. I don't want the church's money. 
He says, sometimes I feel like I'm prostituted. And I knew what he was talking about. He says, in other words, he's, he's kind of this front man who comes into churches and talks and people kind of use him. Just like, I think, President, I'd hate to be the President of the United States. How many conversations does he get to have where people ask about him? And so he's, Kareem says, you know, what I really want, what I really long for is family. Now think about this. This is a man whose own parents have said he is as good as dead. His in-laws have said to them, you are as good as dead. And now he's got to take his son for his own protection and bring him out of Egypt. And then he's going to go back again to Egypt to work, to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. What I want us to be, and I'm changing, I'm changing here, I want us to be his family. I want us to be his family. As best as we can. I gave him a little plaque. I went downtown Ashland, and I thought, man, i got to find something. All it was is this little plaque. It just said family, and it had some other phrases on there. But the biggest thing I wanted, it had something about memories and laughter or whatever. But in the big letters, it was family. And on Thursday morning, I gave it to him, sitting at... Kenny on his table, and uh, while everybody's talking, he's over there, and he he unwraps it, and everybody's still talking. I just kind of keep an eye on him, keep going with the conversation, and he opens it up, and the first time since he's been here, he cried. This is a man who's had to guard himself constantly. He gets betrayed all the time by people who supposedly are his friends. What he wants is family. I'm asking you, you got to spend your life. you got to spend your life. Who are you going to spend it for? Are you going to spend it for yourself, or are you going to be part of God's family and spend it for him? Father, inadequately, I think in some way, again, I have tried to bring across wonderful things, Jesus, that you spoke I pray that uh, your spirit may take the truly trulies and bring them deep into our hearts, mine included. I will not exclude myself from that, for I too, Lord, many times spend my life for stuff that doesn't last. So, Lord, may we be people who spend our life for what is real. I pray that today, if there's somebody here who, who does not know you in relationship with you, they have no gas in their tank, May they truly just reach out to you and say, God, if you're there, and you are, Jesus, Savior, Lord, come into their life. Granted, I pray in Jesus' name.